3, 6 through 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Good morning. Man, that gets better and better and better. If you are visiting with us, let us say how happy we are to have you. And, and hopefully it is that you've gotten one of those visitor's packs that we have offered to you. Inside there is an attendance card. If you filled that out, if you'll pass that toward the aisles, we have some gentlemen who will come through and pick those up. We'd like to have a record of your attendance. And we would like to also say to you, especially if this is your first time with us, uh, that's excellent. We're, we're grateful to have you. Uh, we'll see you next week. And so we are so thankful that you have decided to be here with us. Once again, technology works great when you turn it on. What an excellent idea. You know, the, the thoughts and the minds of the world around us today are at one place. And that's at Calvary. That's a good place to be. But really, what does it all mean? The, the book that you hold within your lap, the one that I have up here, or, or the half of one that I have up here, is the greatest selling literary work of all time. As a matter of fact, it's, it's so far ahead of any other literary work that the uh, New York guys there would put an asterisk by it, and it was always number one, and now it's just been assumed that it is number one, and the, the top ten bestsellers that you and I are looking at are two through eleven. The book that you hold within your lap is a book of foreknowledge of what's going to come within the Old Testament, and how God will save man from the Old Testament. You see God in His provisions with the nation of Israel. You see God in His provisions with all of mankind. And as it runs through the Old Testament, as God would, would look at His people and say, Come back home. You've gone too far away. We see that the Old Testament is full of, of blood and dead animals. And we see that happening year after year in the month called Nicene. And it never stops. It's always there. The of Israel's always preparing for that day. See, on the day after, they begin to look for that sheep without spot and without blemish for next year's sacrifice. They begin to put it up into, into small pens so that it doesn't hurt itself. You know what I read this week, and I don't know how true this is, so you can take this for what you want. I heard at one point in time when the, she, when the lamb was small that they would swaddle it like a baby so that it didn't get hurt. Imagine the care and the concern that they have for this animal whose eventual life in a year is going to be taken by them. 
You can see the provision of God and, the, and the, the care and the love of God dripping throughout the Old Testament. And then you and I turn the page from Malachi into Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we begin to read now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And she had some real big issues with that. All of us of age understand how children are produced. She's seen it throughout her life. She knows how children come about, and she's got a big problem. Because that's not how this child came about. And she tries to tell her, her uh, espoused or fiancé, Joseph, and I'll be real honest with you. He doesn't want to hear it. Would you? Imagine being uh, engaged to a young lady from the male point of view and having her come to you and say, listen, it's miraculous. Would you listen? He had a real tough time with it himself. The angel of the Lord spoke to both of them and said, listen, this is the truth. You have him born, you have him grow up, and we really don't read anything about him until he's about 13. And then we read one incident where, where he goes into the temple and he's away from his family and his family's, uh, they're just a little bit freaked out about it. We can't find him. We're, we're, a, we're a day and a half's journey outside of Jerusalem and we can't find him. That's a big problem. If God says, I want you to raise my child, and you lose God's child, that's a big problem. They come back to the temple, they find him speaking to the doctors. To the doctors of the law. And he's asking questions, and, and he's answering questions, and they are sitting there with their mouth agape, thinking, what does this kid know about the law? Well, what they don't realize is they're sitting there with the law in the flesh. We see him grow up some 20 years after that. We meet him in Matthew chapter 3. And he's going to be baptized into the Jordan River. And John, his cousin, really doesn't want to do it. He said, you're coming over here to see me to baptize you. And, and there's no reason for me to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. To which Jesus would say, suffer it to be so. Just allow it. And so he is, and you see in his baptism that spirit of God descending like a dove. And then those triumphant words from God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You see him begin from there and begin a, a ministry toward men and women that, it, that is unparalleled to any other. He begins to speak in something called parables. And this is so, according to Matthew chapter 13, this is so those who want to get it will get it. And those who don't want to get it can just forget it. A sower went forth to sow. And he threw out some seed here and there, and this seed landed on the pathway. This seed landed on some rocks. This seed landed near some thorns. But this seed landed on good, great ground that brought forth thirty. 60, 100 fold. 
One of the very first parables and the, the disciples say, what in the world does that mean? Well, what am I supposed to do with that? And he said, listen, the pathway are the folks who hear it, but Satan snatches it right out of their heart. They don't want to do anything with it. You have those who land on the thorny soil who, who, who hear it and want to do something with it, and yet the cares and the concerns of this world choke them out and they, they fall away. You have those who land on the rocky soil, and, and, and while that takes root, it, it just only goes so far before it hits those rocks. And then that summer heat comes out and it's burned up. Then he would look at them and say, but there is some good soil. There is some good soil mentioned. And that soil produces and produces and produces and produces. Now, if you were in my first and second grade class that I had the opportunity to teach last year-ish sometime, we studied those parables. You know what we found out the, the, um, the meaning of that parable is? Be good dirt. What God wants you to be. Be good dirt. That's what he's trying to tell them in those parables. I, I don't want you to be this soil that doesn't bring forth, or that soil that doesn't bring forth, or this soil that doesn't even care. Be good dirt. And he continues to teach, and continues to teach, and continues to teach. He teaches those who, are, who have leprosy. You recall him? Or really, them, it was ten of them. As they, they run up to him and they're wanting to be clean, and he says, go tell the, the high priest. And on their way there, they're cleaned, and then that one comes back to say thank you. So as I'm looking at that particular idea this week, here's what dawned on me, and... and you guys know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it just finally dawned on me. Underneath the Old Testament law, if a clean person touched an unclean person, they were unclean. But when Jesus touches them, he's not unclean, but now they're clean. Now sit around and chew on that one for a while. He's the source. He's, he's living right there in front of them. And either they see it and they're moved by it and they believe it or they see it and they just dismiss it. But they hear what he has to say and you can't deny its truth. And they see him heal those who have leprosy. They see him stand at the very tomb of his best friend. John 11, verse number 35, you see him cry. You see him openly weep. Knowing what's going to happen next, you see him cry. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And one of the craziest things in the world happens. Dead Lazarus stands up, removes those death clothes, and walks out of there. <laughs> walks out of there. 
You see him heal people who he's not even around. You see four friends bring their paralytic friend to him simply because they hope he can touch him. And not only does Jesus heal his legs, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And for three and a half years, walking around the area you and I know as Israel, he is the example for all men and women, even in our day, to follow. Here's a man who simply teaches, you're not doing this right. Here's how you ought to be doing it. Here's what God intended from the beginning. And because of that, they hate Him. Because of that, they arrest Him. Because of that, they beat Him and they pull the hairs out of His, out of his face. Because of that, he ends up on a cross. We often look at the idea of Jesus standing with Pilate. And that discourse where, where Pilate asked Jesus what is truth in its purest form. <laughs> because the only thing Pilate knows is what can help me get to the next level. And Jesus tells him the truth. The truth is that I will lay down my life. And the truth is that I will pick it up again. And the truth is you don't really have a say in this even though you think you do. It would be Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 that would let us know that when that process started, it was exactly on God's time, exactly how God willed it, for the exact purpose that God wanted it to be. Now in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under law, notice verse 5, to redeem us as His children, to buy us back. And while the black flags of hell fly at their highest in their mass that they possibly can on that Friday, they have to retreat on that Sunday. Because that stone doesn't stay there. And that man from Nazareth doesn't stay in that tomb. You know, the easiest way, the easiest way to put an end to all this nonsense of he has risen is just to produce a body. And some 2,000 years later, we still can't do that. Hmm. I wonder what that tells me. So what, preacher? Somewhere around 2,000 years ago, what does that have to do with me? Now listen... I know some of you are looking in shock at that statement. As if it may be some sort of um, disrespectful statement. But when you and I began to look at the Bible with that last question in mind, what does it have to do with me? Then we have taken a book from being simply the greatest literary work ever written 
to the only thing that changes men's lives. What does it have to do with me? What does any of it have to do with me? Well, I hope today, since our minds are on Calvary, we can kind of figure out what it has to do with me and what it has to do with you. Because what happened on that day, that weekend, in that country means so much to the entirety of humankind. And to me. And to you. So let's see what it means. Here's some of the answers. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Why was Jesus sacrificed? For the greatest need of mankind. Turn over, if you will, to the most popular verse in the entire Bible, John chapter 3 and verse number 16. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Is John in this Bible? There it is. Now notice Jesus is speaking here. Notice what he says. Well, I got 17 in there twice, don't I? You can read it twice if you want to, but you really don't need to. Notice what's said in verse 16 beginning. As, as Jesus is finishing up, or, or about halfway through really, with a, with a discussion uh, with, um, what's his name from chapter 1? There he is, Nicodemus. They're discussing what God would have man to do in order to be saved. And, and at some point in time here in this conversation, Jesus goes back and reflects on what God's portion of the salvation of man looks like. And here's what he says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now notice verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, so those last three words say, might be saved. Well, saved from what? Billy Hayes needs to be saved, are you ready? From Billy Hayes. How about you? Now, don't answer yes. I probably need to be saved from Billy Hayes, too. Look at yourself. Look at the decisions that you would make off of uh, past experiences or off of what you think might be the right way. And look and see if they're not maybe the, the not greatest decisions they could be. And if we're really going to look down at ourselves, look and see if they're not sinful. And you think, boy, I really messed that one up. I should have done this, or, I'm, or, I'm, or I could have done that. When it's written in black and white for us exactly what to do. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Because I need him. How about you? In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, you have probably the best overall thesis statement of any of the four Gospels that are ever found. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Man, I wonder, I wonder how many things are not written down. I wonder if there's one that I could look at through, with my human eyes throughout Jesus' life and say, man, that one really should have gone in there. That one was great. 
Notice verse 31. But these are written. But these that are written are written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ and have life through his name. Why? Because, fella, you may or may not know this, but you're in sin. And the greatest need that you and I have is nothing physical, but everything spiritual. The greatest need that I have is to be saved from myself. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Because we're dependent. Go all the way back in your minds, if you want to, to Genesis chapter number 1. Day 1 he makes, day 2 he makes, 3, 4, 5 he makes. And on day 6, the crowning jewel of his creation, here stands man and woman. And they are made in the perfection of God. They are sinless as they are standing in that garden. They are the prime that man can be. And not a few pages later, in chapter 3, you read about them being tempted in order to sin. And they have to make a choice. Am I going to eat the fruit or am I not? And by the way, it has nothing to do with the fruit has everything to do with the decision to supersede God's authority. Am I going to eat this fruit or am I not? And they decide to. And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, that moment they give up their perfected independence and they become dependent on a God to save them. Period. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 is... is is an interesting verse and, and, and hard to look at when I look at myself in there. Because it's just as true as the day as the ink was wet on the paper. It's still just as true for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, here's where it gets difficult. And here's where it gets hard for us because we revel in the fact that God has given us the opportunity to make our own choices. And while God has given me the opportunity to succeed and make my own choices for the right or to fail and make my own choices for the wrong, Romans 3.23 is still right. Romans 3.23 written some 2,000 years before I was born was still right about me even when I committed the first one. And I find myself dependent on God himself to save me. It would be in John chapter 14, beginning of verse 1, where Jesus would say, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas is a little confused. He says, we don't know whether thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, <laughs> I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And his last qualifying statement clears everything up. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to reach God. 
I want to be pleasing to God. I want to stand before God holy. You can't do that without going through Jesus Christ. And I find myself dependent. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Because blood's the key. From Genesis chapter 3 forward, blood has always been the key. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we'll read those exact statements. For without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. You remember when, when God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden because what they made just wasn't good enough? Are you guys awake? Y'all remember that? Shake or nod? All right. Now, I'm going to give you some supposition here. You can take this or leave it. He made those clothes out of animal skins, right? What do you do with those animals? And their blood. Something has to pay the price for that sin, doesn't it? You just take that for whatever you want to. It'd be uh, Paul who writes in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, as he's comparing that Old Testament to that New Testament, speaking about those things that happen year after year continually, and the shedding of blood happening year after year after year, and there's no relief in sight. And that's the old law. Jude verse 3 would tell us, that that sacrifice was made one time on that cross for all. You know why we're not sacrificing animals today? Because the perfect sacrifice was made 2,000 years ago and is still valid. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Because, because blood's the key. Why was Jesus sacrificed? Because we live in a hopeless world. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We live in a world that, that has no hope, and at the same time, that's really what we are, we are searching for. Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 11, he, he writes, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time... You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Now, under, if you write in your Bible, underline this phrase, circle this phrase, highlight this phrase, do something so that it catches your attention. Having no hope and without God in this world. That's where you were. And just to be real honest with you, that's where I was too. Let's continue further, a little, a little bit further. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who have made us both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. You were there. You can see yourself as you were when the truth is revealed that you are without hope, and you look around and you notice that I am without hope. But now, Ephesians, as you look back, you can see that transformation happen when you begin to obey God. 
And when you did, you moved from the, the group of outside of the commonwealth of Israel and into the kingdom of our dear Lord. Why was Jesus raised? Because I need some hope. You imagine Jesus spending all of his time while he's here on earth preparing those who will become the apostles to get ready. This death is coming and, and get ready for that Sunday morning because I'm coming out only to have them go over to that grave on Sunday morning to apply those spices to that body to get there and find that body. Only to have him them realize that everything he had told them has no hope in it. And that all we have is this life. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's all we have, we ain't got much. The hope that's found, the hope that's found within that one walking out, James would write that he would be a kind of a first fruits, that we would follow in, in his path. Doesn't that give you some hope? I have, but this is terrible. I hope it does. Let's do the math. Forty-six-year-old man who has pretty much zero on his exercise chart and has had a 100 on his menu selection if 100 is Coke and candy, if that's where it's at. Lives to be 85 years old. Let's just suppose that. Well, here's what the patient says. More than half of my life now is over. And if all I have to look forward to are the last 40 years, 40-ish years, and nothing else, the point when I see him walk out of that tomb through the pages of inspiration what I understand is one day if I follow the same path he followed one day I can do the same thing one day when he comes back through those clouds to receive that church I can be a part of that group regardless if I am or not I'm still going to get out of that tomb and it's not going to be as great of a day if I'm not a follower as if I was. Why was Jesus raised? Because we need a constant reminder. 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us of how that, that Lord's Supper that we took, that we take every week, was instituted. And it is Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 46 that remind us of that need of the church throughout the entirety of the world. I need a reminder, I need a constant reminder that I should be following in the footsteps of the one who said, do this in remembrance of me. I need a constant reminder that I need to be following in the footsteps of the one who said, Father, forgive them, and it is finished. That's who I need to be following. And sometimes I do pretty good at that. And sometimes I don't. And I'm not the lone ranger in this room, am I? But I need that constant reminder 
of who He is and what He expects. Here's the good news for you today. The good news for you today is this. God loves you and has and will and will consistently and wants what's best for you and wants what uh, your decisions to be after what His Son has done. God loves you. And not only has God the Father loved you, but according to John chapter 1 and verse 14, when the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as of the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, God then put on a body in order to die for you. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Can God die? We said no. No, He put on a body for that express purpose. That's why Jesus the Christ was sent for you, to redeem you, if for no other reason, for me. Look, if we made it all the way to September the 8th, 1976, and we're all in the garden, everything's going lovely, some point in time, in that time period, I'm going to mess it up. And if I'm the only one expelled from the garden, Jesus the Christ is still going to be sent for me. And if you're the only one, God is still going to send Jesus for you. Why? Because He wants us all. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 will tell us He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Since God has done His part, Jesus the Christ has done His part in that death, the Holy Spirit has done His part by writing it down for us. Why don't you do your part? Did you hear what He has to say? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Why don't you believe that? John chapter 8 and verse 24. Jesus would say there in John 8 24, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Why not confess that name of Jesus the Christ in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 and 33? If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And if you deny me, I'm going to deny you too. Why not repent of your sin? Jesus would say in Luke chapter 13, or 13 and verse number 3, and in verse number 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Why not be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38, to be raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 4. Why not do your part? You may be looking at me and say, preacher, I've done those things. Great. Take your Bible and open that thing up and read that thing and compare your life to it. Is it a reflection of or are there some lackluster parts? If you're falling short from the standard of God's Word, it's time to come home. Stand up, dust yourself off, get all that smell of the hog pen off of you. Come back home to a father who's waiting, to a church who's waiting. Do those things right now while we stand and while you sing. Yeah.